All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Some good conversation going on in the room. It's good today. If I uh, haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Tyson. I'm one of the pastors on the team. Don't worry, John, you're good. I'm one of the pastors on the team here at College Church, and we're so glad that you've chosen to be here with us this morning. Uh, Growing up, one of my favorite movies was the iconic 1987 movie, The Princess Bride. It it is a heartwarming story of true love and mowage, humor and adventure. And if you have not seen the film, it is a masterpiece. The plot of the story centers around Princess Buttercup and her true love, Wesley. And after Wesley goes on an adventure, it is, he is thought to be dead. And so Princess Buttercup is forced into an arranged marriage with Prince Humperdinck. Great name. But she gets kidnapped by a trio of quirky characters who you see on the right there. Vizzini, Fezzik, and of course, Inigo Montoya leading to a daring rescue mission. Now, I don't want to ruin the plot for you, but it did come out in 1987, so spoiler. (laughs) Wesley is alive, and he goes on this rescue mission to go and to save Princess Buttercup. And every time this trio who has kidnapped Princess Buttercup tries to stop Wesley from getting her, he beats their challenge that they placed before him. And every time, Vicini says, inconceivable. Thank you, some of you are with me on that. good. Every single time, inconceivable, inconceivable. And at one point in the film, Inigo looks at him and goes, you keep using that word. I do not think that word means what you think it means. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. That's enough accents for this morning, lest I get into dangerous territory. Okay. And this phrase, along with many others from the movie, became kind of a staple in our household growing up. And as I was preparing for this week's message, it was this phrase, I do not think that word means what you think it means that came to my mind. So let's read our scripture for today, and we'll come back to this idea in just a moment. So if if you haven't been with us, we are in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to start with verse 3 and go to verse 6 today. So if you have your Bibles with you, starting in Ephesians 1 verse 3, and it says this, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Would you pray with me as we've read God's word together? Father, thank you so much for this important portion of scripture. And I pray that today, Lord, you would help us to understand what it means to be chosen. You would help us to walk away from this morning after we look at this message with a greater degree of security in you, a greater degree of purpose for what it means to be chosen. I pray that you would take, and if there's anyone walking in today with fear or a lack of clarity of your heart towards them, Lord, I pray that we would walk out of here today knowing you more and seeing you more clearly. That's my hope and my prayer. And so take my words, Lord, take this time that we have together and use it uh, for, your ben- for your glory and for our benefit as people. 
In your name we pray. Amen. Now, there is a lot going on in these short verses today. And there are a lot of familiar religious words in this portion of Scripture. If you've grown up in the church or if you've been around Christianity for a while, you have probably heard some of, if not all, of these words before. And I highlighted a few of them in yellow while I was reading. Blessed and blessing, heaven, chosen, holy, predestined, adopted, glory, grace, all of that was condensed into this one short passage of scripture. And it's kind of like a greatest hits of religious words. And all of these important words in such a small space. And one of the biggest challenges that we face when we come to all of these words is trying to actually unlearn what we think we might know about these concepts. We approach these words sometimes and we've pieced together ideas about what they mean. Maybe it's through a sermon here or a podcast there or having a conversation with someone about what predestination and being chosen means. And we come to the text today and we have ideas or opinions about what some of these words that we have read together mean. And I sometimes wonder if the Apostle Paul, if he were to drop in on our conversation sometimes, would use the words of Inigo Montoya. I do not think that word means what you think it means. And today, we're going to look at specifically the doctrine that is called the doctrine of election, or sometimes predestination. And as we do, I want to make the case that we should let Paul define what he means by these words that he uses, and allow his source materials, the Hebrew scriptures, or what we would call the Old Testament, to help us understand what these words mean so that we don't end up in a place that he probably never intended for us to go to. And one of the challenges when it comes to these words is that they have maybe a core range of meanings, but words are moldable. Words can mean many things, and, what, and words on their own don't necessarily mean anything. People mean things by the use of their words. And I came across a great example of this as I was studying for the message from Tim Mackey of the Bible Project. Let's just say for a moment, you are out at a coffee shop, and you sit down at the table, and you're overhearing the conversation of someone beside you. Does anybody else like to do that at all? It's okay, we're in church, you can confess to this. And say you have a table of two people sitting beside you and you overhear them say these things. We're going to go in there and take them out. Now let me ask you, what does that sentence mean? Context changes everything. Are the people at the table beside you wearing sports jerseys and they have clipboards? Maybe they're a coach, and when they say, we're going to go in there and take them out, they mean that they're going to go take on their next opponent in a sports match and try and beat them. Or are they dressed up in car hearts, and they have blueprints on the table in front of them? And what they mean is, we're going to go into that space and take that wall out or take the studs out in that area. Or are they dressed like Al Capone's henchmen? <laughs> Use your imagination. And they're planning a bank robbery or a hit. Words change based on how they are being used and the context that they are being used in. And if we miss this, we can approach a text like the one that we read today, and we can think we know what Paul means and carry our own ideas into the text. We can think that it's Al Capone's henchman, but really it's someone wearing Carhartts talking about a renovation. 
And we need to pause and allow Paul and the rest of Scripture to define the concepts and the words that we find in Ephesians 1. We need to rebuild our ideas of the words blessed, chosen, predestined, and others that we come across in this passage. So the first thing to help build context for these words is that we need to see that Paul was a first century Jewish man, not a 21st century Canadian. We need to understand that Paul had a rich Jewish history for understanding the ideas of blessing, of election, and being destined. And so let's zoom out for just a moment back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. It starts with two characters, Adam and Eve. In the Hebrew, it's human and life. And the story tells us that they are created in God's image and they are to represent him and to embody his presence and power. Here's what Genesis 1, 27 to 28 says. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God blessed Adam and Eve and commissioned them to rule over all of creation, to multiply, to fill the land. God chose them and he blessed them so that they could spread his blessing over the whole of creation. But we run into a problem, if you know the story, on page three where instead of living into God's plan and living in his good world, partnering with God, humanity decides to set themselves up as kings and queens and decides to go their own way, defining good and evil on their own terms. And the the result is a mess. Instead of multiplying and filling the land with God's goodness and blessing, they fill the land with violence instead. And as a result, things start to look pretty dark. God has blessed and chosen humanity to be his partner, but things have gotten off the rails. And so God decides to step in and to call, to choose one family, Abraham. And they are now going to inherit the blessing that was given to all of humanity. And so here's what God says to Abe in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, once again, we have God choosing one out of many. And he chooses to bless that one so that, and this is the super important part, they will be a blessing to all the peoples on earth. What humanity had failed to do in Genesis chapter 3, God now chooses a specific family, Abraham's family, who becomes the people of Israel to now carry on that mission of being blessed to be a blessing to everyone. And this is an important pattern for us to pay attention to. God chooses one to share blessing with many. God chooses one to share blessing with many. To Abraham, God said that this blessing is going to be restored in you. Do you recognize that in language? I'm wearing it on my shirt again today that we've been talking about all fall so far. In Christ. And in the Old Testament, he is saying, in you, Abraham, in your family, the blessing is going to be restored. 
Now, to those who have read some of or all of the Old Testament, how does Israel do with this calling? Lousy. I think it's safe to say that at their best, they're inconsistent. And in their darker moments, they bring down death and curse instead of blessing on themselves and on others. Instead of being a part of the solution, Israel kind of becomes enmeshed in the problem. So God once again communicates through his prophets that he will continue to fulfill his plan of blessing all of the creation. And that one day there will be an anointed one, a Messiah, a chosen one from the line of King David who will come and fulfill Israel's story and help to bring the whole story of humanity back on track. Since I like pictures and illustrations and since this is kind of a lot of head stuff, here's a picture of what I'm talking about. God chose humanity out of all of creation to bless them so that they would bring his blessing to the, all, the whole world. When humanity misses the mark on that, God chooses one family, the family of Abraham, who become Israel to carry on that mission. And when Israel does not fulfill that mission of being a blessing to the nations, God says that one, the Messiah, is going to come, and through this chosen one, God will bring blessing to all the nations. Through humanity's story and the story of Israel, all of the hopes converge on the Messiah of Israel being the one to bring blessing to the world. So God, therefore, in the Messiah, is going to fulfill all of these hopes. And this is the story that is in Paul's mind and informs how he uses words like blessing, chosen, predestined, and others that we come across in this story. And because of this, you could say that the biblical concept of election is this. God chooses one out of the many so that through the one, he can restore his blessing back to the many. God chooses one out of the many so that he can restore his blessing back to the many. God chooses one at multiple points in the story. Humanity out of all of creation. Abraham out of all the families. Israel out of all the nations. And then the Messiah out of all the people to bring blessing back to the many. In Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 3, we see that Paul is saying that all of this hope has come to be fulfilled in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Do you see this language of blessed, 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 to bring that blessing forward? Eleven times in chapter one, Paul says, in Christ, in him, through him. There's this constant theme that the story of all of humanity and the story of Israel is coming together and being fulfilled in Jesus. All of it is happening through Israel's Messiah, And Israel's hopes are being fulfilled in this Messiah. This is the context for the story that Paul has in his mind when he uses blessing, choose, predestine, and grace. This is the context that Paul's mind is filled with and the story that he is living in as a Jewish person. And here are a few passages from Deuteronomy that show this clearly. Because he loved our fathers, he chose their seed after them and led them out of Egypt with a strong arm. On your fathers, Yahweh set his affection to love them, and he chose their seed after them, you all from among all the peoples. 
For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples of the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Paul got how he uses these words from the Old Testament. And in these passages, who does God choose or foreknow? Israel as a people, to be his people, to share the covenant blessing with the world. And now this idea is brought into the New Testament. And all those who are in Jesus, Jew and Gentile alike, are now chosen. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project puts it this way. In Paul's view, the chosen people are the chosen, elected, predestined people of God, which now includes Jews and Gentiles, and all who believe in Israel's Messiah, who is the true, elect, chosen, predestined one. If you believe in Jesus today, you are a part of the chosen and predestined people because Jesus is the true, elect, chosen, and predestined one. Now, I know... We get to this point. We are firmly in Bible nerd territory this morning. (laughs) We are deep in these words and talking about them, and we can get all sorts of ideas about what Paul means. But if we miss the context, we can get miles away from what he likely intended them to mean. Let's go back to that illustration that we used earlier. We're going to go in there, and we're going to take them out. If we get the context wrong, we're going to end up in a different spot. Are they wearing sports jerseys or Carhartts or do they look like mobsters? And if we get the context wrong for these words, we can land miles away from what they were intended to mean. And sometimes we miss the story that we've talked about so far and try to impose the words of election, of predestined, of chosen onto a different story. And and this is a story that is helpful to a degree. This is a story that if we're trying to summarize how big scripture is, try to summarize the whole story of the Bible. This is a helpful story to a degree. And the story is this. We have God, and then we have me, or sometimes we'll say we. And there's the problem of sin. And because of that problem of sin, we have Jesus who died on the cross for our sins, and he rose from the grave so that we could go to the good place and not go to the bad place. And sometimes this is a helpful story because it is clear It makes salvation personal. God died for me. He loves me. He cares for me. But the problem, if if this is our only story, is when we try to enforce words like election onto this story, it makes it seem like God arbitrarily chooses some people to go to the good place and some people to go to the bad place. Which is, if you want to get really specific, is double predestination. You can go home and Google that if you want to have some time on your hands. If we have this story, it's a good story, but the problem is it's only a partial story. Where is the story of Israel in this story? Where is our whole Old Testament? If we could use this story and this story alone, we could stop at Genesis chapter 3 and pick it up in the New Testament. We don't need the whole story of Israel and most of our Bibles today. But that's not the way that Paul uses his language, and that's not Paul's worldview. Paul does not say he predestined or elected us to be in Christ. He says in Christ we were predestined and elected. I know that might seem like it's not a big difference, but it is a massive one. Jesus is the predestined one. He is the chosen one. And when we are in Christ, we are a part of that predestined and chosen crew. 
The order is crucial. It is in Christ that we are predestined, not that he predestined us to be in Christ. Election and predestination are not about how you get in Christ, as if God has pre-programmed you to be disposed towards faith or not. When Paul talks about how someone actually gets in Christ, later in this very passage in Ephesians 1.13, he says this, In Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the good news, you believed and were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. You heard, you believed, and you were sealed. Paul, in this passage in Ephesians chapter 1, is not addressing many of the issues that we want him to address. He's not getting into a major theological debate about these terms. This is ultimately about one person, the chosen one, the Messiah Jesus, fulfilling God's promise to bring blessing to all of humanity, which now includes you and I. And I know, again, I said this morning might feel a little bit Bible nerdy. Why are we talking about these words of chosen and elect and predestined so much? Here is why this matters. There is security in being chosen. Let me ask you this question. When you heard the word chosen this morning, what was your first response? Because having been a pastor for a while now, when I talk with people about the idea of being chosen or destined or predestined or elect, you want to know what the most common response I get is? We go back to the recess playground where people are being chosen for teams for soccer. We go back to that place where we were not chosen. We go back to that place where we were left to the side, discarded, thought not valuable. Maybe it's you remembering that play you weren't chosen for. Maybe it's like me and you remember that basketball team that you tried out for and you did not make. Maybe it's that you were not chosen for a spouse or not chosen for a promotion at work when you felt you deserved it. And this idea of not being chosen carries with it a blunt message that I am not useful, I have no worth, and I am good for nothing. And my point is that sometimes when we hear these words in scripture of chosen or predestined, we initially remember times when we were excluded, not chosen. If we miss what Paul has in mind with these words, it can leave us wondering, have I been chosen by God? Have I been a part of that chosen few? And it can leave us wondering if God has excluded us or left us to the side or chosen for us to go to the bad place instead of the good place. But I want to say this very clearly. You can read the whole New Testament. Paul never says anywhere that God has chosen some for the bad place. Let me just make that abundantly clear. Paul never says anywhere that God has chosen some to go to a bad place. God's choosing is not primarily referring to individuals. In Ephesians 1, all throughout this portion of scripture, I don't know if you caught this, but it is we and it is us language. If some of your Bibles have translated as you, I want for the rest of Ephesians, do this one thing. Read you as y'all. Get your southern drawl on and read you as y'all for the rest of Ephesians because it is about plural. We can read our individual lens into this and miss that election is primarily a corporate discussion. 
God's choosing is about choosing all of humanity to redeem and restore all that was lost in Genesis. And he chooses to do that through one particular family in the Old Testament and then through the elect one, Jesus, the Messiah. The point of God choosing one family was never to just bless one family. The blessing is for all of humanity. When we think about choosing in this way, it's not about God choosing for reasons that we do not know who is in and who is out. It is about God choosing Jesus to come and restore all that was broken and bring blessing to all people. So let me say this as clearly as I can today. If you have tuned out, tune back in for just one moment. You are chosen. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to wonder about it. You are chosen. In a world where we can feel unnoticed, where we can feel discarded and dismissed as unimportant, let these words rest on your soul today. You are chosen. You do not have to worry if you are wanted or not. You are chosen. It's not a last-minute decision. You aren't the last pick in the cosmic game of soccer. Ephesians 1 tells us that before the foundations of the world, God chose you. Not because of anything you did or could ever do to earn God's love, but because he had a plan to redeem all that was broken and all that was lost. And the chosen one is Jesus. And because of what Jesus did, you are chosen today. What Jesus did on that cross and through rising from the grave was for you. He chose you. And I want us to see there is security in that. God had a plan. And his name was Jesus. And he was the chosen one. And this leads me to the second reason why it's so important for us to understand all of this today. We are predestined for a purpose. Let me go back for a second to where we were earlier and say it again. The doctrine of election is God choosing one out of the many so that through the one he can restore his blessing to the many. This is the story all throughout scripture. Humanity, Abraham, Israel, Jesus the Messiah, are all meant to bring blessing to the world. And now we, as his chosen people, get to continue that story and bring blessing to the world. You are not predestined for your own sake, but for the sake of stepping into that role in the story of bringing God's blessing to the world. The way we sometimes say it around here is what has flown to to you, I have words, What has come to you is meant to go through you. What God has given to you in blessing you is meant to flow through you to other people. It's not meant to just be about you. Here's the way that Daryl Johnson sums up this idea. God's election has an outward, other-directed goal, chosen out of the world for the sake of the world. Let me say this clearly. If, if, If the idea of you being chosen makes your head puffed up makes you feel like you're special or the only one that is loved by God to the exclusion of others, we are missing the point of being chosen. It is not just for us. It is actually to share that blessing with the entire world. In Christ, we now carry on his mission of bringing blessing to the world. We are his representatives. Ephesians 1.4 puts it this way. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Israel in the Old Testament was called to be holy, 
to be set apart from the nations around them. And now, as those who are in Christ, we are called to be holy and blameless, set apart from the culture around us so that we can bring God's blessing to this world. That is what this is all about. You are not chosen and predestined just for your own sake. We are adopted into a family of God for a purpose. We've been chosen to carry on the name of Jesus and show the world a different way of living. And when we see all of these things come together, that we have been blessed, that we have been chosen, that we have been predestined, it should lead us to where Paul finishes today's passage, worship. Being chosen in Christ leads us to worship. Paul says in Ephesians 1.6, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. It is about praising who God is and coming back to a heart of worship. And when we talk about this idea of doctrine of election, when we talk about theology in general, there's often kind of one of two responses that I often get from people. Sometimes people's eyes just glaze over and they're like, why are we even talking about this? Sometimes they fall asleep, but no one in the room this morning. Why are we even talking about these words? Why are we talking about election? Why are we talking about predestination? Why are we talking about this stuff? And if that's where you're at today, no judgment, but let me just say these two things. God asks us to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Did you catch that mind is in there? We don't just check our brains at the door when it comes to our faith. We actually need to think about God. And when we think about God more and more, it'll hopefully help us to see him more clearly and to worship him more honestly. Us worshiping him with our minds actually matters and it can be an act that it blesses the heart of God. The second reason why it really matters is that our theology and what we believe about God has real life impact. Over the years, you would not believe how many people have come to my office or talked with me and they are concerned that they are not part of the chosen few. They come to my office and they talk to me and they're like, Pastor Tyson, I came across this word of being predestined and chosen and I don't know if I'm in or if I'm out. What we believe about this stuff really does matter. Instead of their theology leading them to a place of hope and trust and freedom and worship, it's leading them to a place of fearing that God has ignored them or cast them out and not chosen them. And what we believe about these things has real life implications. And the second group of people that I come across, if the first group is all about why are we even talking about this, this is boring, this is useless, the second group is let's talk about this all the time. Let's debate about it. Let's wrestle with it. Let's continue to talk about it and keep going and going and going. And oftentimes, this can just stay in the intellectual space. It can be an idea that we debate, a problem that we can solve, how does God's sovereignty interact with human free will? And we can spend hours and hours and hours debating it, but it stays in the realm of our intellect. And if these are both of the extremes that I've encountered or two ditches that maybe we don't need to go into, I want us to see that, that Paul doesn't end in either of these two places when he talks about election and predestination. Paul ends up in worship. Daryl Johnson puts this beautifully. For Paul and the other biblical authors who speak of it, God's election of us in Christ before the foundation of the world is good news. The truth of election 
causes Paul to bless God, to bow his knees and stretch out his hands, offering his whole self. This tells me that as I try to understand this blessing, if I go down an intellectual road that no longer stirs my soul to worship, something is off. A right understanding of divine election will engender an outpouring of praise. This brings us right back to where Pastor Sean brought us last week. Back to a place of blessing God, of getting down onto our knees to praise him and to thank him because through Jesus, we have been chosen. Through Jesus, we do not have to fear and wonder if God loves us, but we have been chosen and predestined to now share his love with the rest of this world. When we think about election, it is not just an idea to wrestle with. It is actually a real-life implication that should lead us to worship. You are secure, church. Jesus has chosen you. You do not have to fear or wonder whether God loves you. You are chosen. And that is God's heart for all of us. To understand and to know that he has chosen us. We are truly blessed and we are chosen and we have been given a purpose and when we are understanding of these things it should lead us to worship so that's how I want us to finish this morning together in praise and in worship so if if you're in the room with us this morning and you're able I invite you to stand right now and I just want to close with reading this scripture over us one more time and then join with the team in, in singing praise and worship to God. Ephesians 1, 3 to 6 says this, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Jesus, as we close in worship today, we thank you that you have chosen us, that you have loved us, that Jesus, you going to the cross settles whether we are chosen or valued by you. We don't have to wonder about it anymore. We don't have to worry about what God thinks about us. You love us and you have given your life for us. And so today, Lord, in the time that we have remaining, we just offer up our praise to you. We, we wanna bless your name. We wanna offer up all of ourselves back to you in thanksgiving for the love that you have shown to us. So thank you, Jesus, for this amazing word that we are chosen. Now help us to respond in love and worship and adoration of you. In your name we pray, amen.